Thank you for a fantastic presentation and and a sort of an extra little pearl of an insight into the way you prepare for a talk. It's nice to know that I'm not the only one who's doing things the night before. Um, I just I was just struck, um, Amanda, when you were talking, mm-hmm. and because this is probably the best time to ask you, mm-hmm. w- w- was there any correction or modification in those in those papers in terms of survivability or gastric necrosis for tachydysrhythmias and severity of same or in those patients, because presumably that would have also influenced the lactate levels in a way that may or may not have been related to gastric um, necrosis, or at least I'm asking for a position of ignorance, really. Sorry, was there any correction in what? For, for them having tachydysrhythmia, so ventricular premature yeah, contractions. no, there wasn't. Or no, uh, I'm remembering last night now, but I'm pretty sure there wasn't in any of them. Um, I mean, t- well, what do you mean by ta- oh, tachydysrhythmias? No, that wasn't particularly reported or... I guess my my clinical impression is that although very severe tachydysrhythmias can lead to an increased lactate, actually the kind of dysrhythmias we see with GDV, the contribution of the dysrhythmia to the hyperlactatemia is likely to be a relatively small contribution. But no, they didn't do any corrections for that in any of the papers. Okay. And if I have one more question, if I may, do you you think one of the problems with cats and lactate is, is the difference in in the way the liver metabolises glucose and in terms of hexakinase versus glucokinase and how that changes or how it doesn't change, in fact, with glucose levels. I don't know. What do you think, David? I'm sure cats I hadn't even mater- thought about it until you saw this lecture <laughs> I, and I thought, well, well that um, could be interesting. No, I, I, suspect, I suspect the way the cat's liver and, and potentially also the way the, um, the, the, the redistribution of blood flow happens in shock is potentially an input. I mean, I... The, the detail of the metabolic pathways in the liver is certainly not something that I can call to mind immediately, but I, I don't, I think it's inherent differences in the cat. Yes. Now, how much of that is metabolic pathways versus the way they physiologically respond to shock, which we also know is different to dogs. I, I wouldn't, I, I couldn't really speculate on that. I suspect it will be a combination of both, as with many things. <laughs> so. Amanda, first of all, congratulations on holding the audience for the final one of the day. Um, um, you, you laid great stress at the end there on the ability of, also oh, the need for veterinary surgeons to be able to give some sort of guidance at times of stress for the owner in yeah. terms of um, likely outcomes versus expenditure. Mm-hmm. There may or may not be uh, coming up over the coming years, perhaps some impacts on disposable income, who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, and that certainly is going to become an increasing uh, problem that veterinary surgeons may face. Yeah. If you were to look at how the, uh, the provision of such information mm-hmm. can be enhanced through EBVM processes, what would you like to see happen that would accelerate the provision of such reference data that would help veterinary surgeons? I think that's a really good question. Um, I think it has to be about collaboration and trust between different organisations because there's a mountain of work to do um, and we are by nature a suspicious, cynical bunch um, and you almost can't make progress unless you have a baseline to start with. So, um, you know, I can sit there and read through the papers and come up with some thoughts. Um, You could probably take other... ECC specialists, other epidemiological people with much more knowledge in that area. And we would probably come up with slightly different guidelines. And we need to be 
big enough to accept that they might be slightly different, but they're probably about the same, and have a have a the confidence to um, communicate that to the wider to the wider profession via a route that is widely accepted as being the authoritative route. Now that's a huge challenge because I think you ask you ask twenty veterans, what's the authoritative route? And you know, quite frankly, it's me. Says all of us. Um, so I think that is a real a real challenge, and part of that has to come through cultural change within the profession. I think. Um, but I guess that would be the big thing for me to have some mechanism of getting um, a body of expertise to work together to come up with a guidance that isn't perfect because it, it won't be, and that we won't all one hundred percent agree with, but that we can ninety percent sign up to, and then. Have having a way of ensuring that that guidance is available and trusted by the wider veterinary community. Does that help? Thank you.